Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. everybody welcome back to all new all different uncanny exits for podcast where we examine the uncanny x-men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion i'm your host jonah i'm dylan i'm kyle i'm regina and i'm nico and we hope you survive the experience why because this today this right here this is war this isn't just any war. No, no, no. This is multiple wars. This is the secret wars. That's right. John Hickman and Isad Ribic. Wait, no, that can't be it. Okay, no. This is the secret war where Brian Michael Bendis took us all to lot ver- Wait, that can't be it either. This is Secret Wars 2 where the Beyonders showed up and- te- Wait, no. Okay. I'm sure by now you're getting the joke is there's as many wars at Marvel as there are crises at DC and- To give everybody a little idea of what we're covering today, we're going to be taking a look at the backstory behind 1984's landmark The Secret Wars, a 12-issue miniseries that, once again, was inspired by making other products. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself, as always. I want to give an official, full-fledged 80s mutant mania welcome to the one and only Queen Regina. Hello! It is so great to have you on this feed. I know you've made some appearances in some back matter, and you are, of course, one of the regular correspondents on We Are Krakoa on Mondays, but it's so exciting to have you here in the 80s, where we're talking about some superheroes, and we've talked a little bit about crossovers before. We covered the Contest of Champions, which actually inadvertently led to this, and we'll get to that in a moment, but I want to know, guys, who here had read The Secret Wars before this? Nope. I had not. I actually had not. It was one of the Marvel crossovers that I had skipped. Nope. <laughs> okay, so that is just like the most motherfucking fascinating thing I've ever heard. Because like, <laughs> this is one of those things that was always in trade. So like, everybody had this. This is one of those books that like, just like you found copies in your home. And no matter how many of them you threw out, if you accidentally fed them after midnight, there were more. So <laughs> this is one of those. I don't. Is that how gremlins work? If yeah. you feed them after midnight, yeah, there's more of them, them. Or if you throw water on them. I've never seen it, so I, I don't know. Oh my know. god, you've never I, seen Gremlins? I, gremlins, I haven't I gremlins either. Gremlins, how you guys... Mer- mer- <laughs> I Gremlins, the way you guys secret wars. How did we miss these? Well, you have to watch it now. Yes. <laughs> just just stop. In Gremlins Stop too, recording now. There was a lady Gremlin, and I feel like it inspired a lot of people's drag personas. I'm just gonna say Yeah, gr- gr- Gremlins so, 2 is the best one. You need to just... You leave the show right now. The four of us will discuss this. You go watch Gremlins, and then we'll make another podcast about that. Well, I haven't watched Gremlins either. Oh my so. god, Kyle! <laughs> <laughs> so, the three of us will start... We are Gremlins! Yes! I'm gonna leave my notes about Brazilian reinterpretations of Secret Wars for you guys to go through, and you guys can cover the show. Deal. So... 
It's funny that you guys have actually never been forced to read Marvel's Secret Wars. There's things like Dark Phoenix Saga you just can't avoid. But I think Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars represents a real turning point in the face of comics. Up and through then, comics had had a shared universe within each company. And those shared universes came to define how those books were different from other companies' books. But that wasn't quite enough. In the early 80s, people were looking to expand comics into other markets. And after hearing that another toy licensor had purchased up the license to the Justice League, Mattel, concerned that their upcoming toy line, Masters of the Universe, wouldn't be a success, decided to invest some money in Marvel. But they were unwilling to simply invest in Marvel for the sake of investing in Marvel. They wanted something to make this action figure line worth it. They wanted to be able to present these figures all around the world and have people understand who these characters are. So Marvel got to work on creating a way to house this idea. Now, there had actually been a crossover just beforehand called Contest of Champions, which four of you poor unfortunate souls were forced to cover with me. No, three of you, because I'm the fourth, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> three of you poor unfortunate souls were forced to cover with me. We covered the Contest of Champions, which I found out a little bit more about. I had not realized that the Contest of Champions was actually part of the 1980s Olympics, but when the U.S. pulled out of the Olympics following some political issues... The book kind of got shelved and then pushed forward again, which explains a number of the like, wait, what the fuck is Captain Britain doing here in the wrong costume sort of issues we had with it. Regina, just so you know, we also decided that Contest of Champions was the most uncut comic book of all time. And by that, I mean, it probably had the most superheroes still intact down there. So I'm glad I thought exactly they were what all you European. meant. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> So following that, Marvel was like, okay, we can do this. We can make a crossover happen. And Mattel was like, okay, we want, we want a series that, that celebrates this, which, <laughs> so it turns out, um, it turns out Chris Claremont turned it down. He turned this project down. He said, I don't want to write the toy book. They then passed this to everyone. Everyone turned it down. What's interesting about that is the legend had always been that Jim Shooter, in that I'm Jim Shooter kind of way, just took the book for himself. Oh, no. It turns out no one else wanted it. <laughs> so I don't blame them. I don't either. And so here's where things get a little bit interesting. All around the world, comics were being sold in secondary markets. Marvel would license, as well as DC and other companies, they would license their characters out to third-party publishers to continue reproducing their old books. Now, there are some kind of famous stories about this that you guys might not be aware of. For instance, when DC licensed The Flash to South America, there was already a periodical called Flash, which was a tabloid. So they didn't want to call it Flash. So they tried calling it Flashman. It was determined that was a little too close to the original copyright of Flash, so they changed his name to Flush Man. <laughs> this didn't do so good, and it got much canceled. I wonder There's, why. Oh, you know, I just, because it means the same thing over there. Like, toilets make the same noise everywhere. It's not like cats, where they meow different, right? It's like, it's like all toilets go flush. <laughs> like, French toilets don't go lay flush. Maybe bidets do, but... <laughs> 
Ooh, bidets are Japanese. Are bidets Japanese? Yes. Like inherently? I, I think so. I, let me that. They popularize them the most. A lot of Japanese toilets have bidets and they like making sure everything is clean down there. I just assumed they invented it. I could be wrong. <laughs> it is a French word. Healthy bottoms make my bidet. So, um, I... <laughs> bidet, good sir! So, I said bidet! So, um, well, to get back to the story... Everybody here, uh, so everybody knows that Spider-Man married Mary Jane Watson for a while, and that was fun. Uh, does everybody remember that he had this other girlfriend, Gwen Stacy? Yeah. Never heard of her. Who? <laughs> well, Mexico wasn't so keen on letting go of her after she died, so they just kept making stories with her. Oh. And would, like, intersperse issues that Mary Jane just wasn't in and would just, like, change the dialogue a little bit. But Mexico did, like, another 23 Gwen Stacy issues. <laughs> Maybe that's how we ended up with Gwenpool. Gwenpool's a gift. <laughs> in Contest of Champions, at least, her evade is amazing. No, it's she makes everyone bleed to death. That's it. She's got the And then she bleed. has a higher chance to stun you if more bleed stacks you have. So she's just great. It's Miles that has the killer evade. Yes. And, Gwen, and Spider Gwen. Spider Gwen has the... Right. Okay. So Gwen Stacy, full circle. Gwen Stacy, full fucking circle. Now... A little bit more specifically to this story, in Brazil, they were looking to publish American comics, but they weren't looking to publish all American comics. They were only interested in the licenses that would result in the best reaction. So they got key issues from guys like Stan Lee on titles where Stan Lee's run was considered tremendous, like the earliest Captain America out of the ice stories from the mid-60s. However, they were not interested in the much less popular and much more locally Americanized Stanley X-Men. And they were only interested in the Chris Claremont all-new, all-different X-Men. This sort of thing happened a lot, and it led to when Secret Wars was attempted to be brought over to Brazil, a real clusterfuck of continuity. Captain America was still in the 1970s, whereas the X-Men had entered the 80s. Captain America could still run into the original X-Men in a story, while the new X-Men were mourning Jean. And it led to some issues when they adapted what became known as Guerrera Secretas. And they had to go through and make major changes, like explain who Rogue was, because they just weren't there yet. So alternate editions of this book that was meant to make it easy to understand who these characters were literally had to make up who the characters were. <laughs> wow. That little bit of backstory all aside, it's important to understand that this was literally to make toys and Mattel kind of had final say on who made it into the book. Mattel said they were not interested in making a Daredevil figure, so they didn't put him in the book. And then they found out Frank Miller's Daredevil was really popular, so they made an action figure anyway. <laughs> Doctor Strange wasn't included in the book because they didn't want to make an action figure of him. Kitty Pride wasn't in the book because Chris said no. So, good. <laughs> so, Secret Wars has a crazy history and a lot of weird elements surrounding it. And the first thing I want to remind everybody is the X-Men disappear from Central Park at the end of X-Men 180. 
they return in X-Men 181. The year-long events of Secret War took, well, that long to unfold. Fans didn't know what happened between those issues for a full year. You had things like Spider-Man showing up in a new suit, She-Hulk suddenly being a member of the Fantastic Four, the Hulk with a broken leg, and we didn't have any of the details that got us there. This miniseries was the focal point of the Marvel publishing schedule for the entirety of 1984. That's a long time. So here's my question to you guys. All of that said and done, this this plot that is basically all the good guys plus Magneto, okay, versus like, I don't, low rent bad guys. I don't even know what to call them. They're awful. So before we even get into the story, talk to me about this setup, this sort of Marvel versus Capcom, but really just more Marvel of the Secret Wars. This was the first of its kind where it was a major, the whole crossover universe. Can you guys believe this gave birth to the crossover? Judging from the story, I can't believe that they tried it again. Well, here's the thing in my thought process. Because this was such a a hyped up thing and you had to read this to find out why She-Hulk's a Fantastic Four member and Spider-Man was in a black symbiote suit. The numbers for like pot, like how many were bought, I don't feel like would be indicative of how well this actually did because well, this had information you need if you were fans of those characters. So I, it doesn't surprise me that someone would look at the numbers and be like, this sold so well, let's do it again. When in actual reality, you kind of had to buy it if you wanted to know. That is so in line with what the Marvel accountants wondered. They were convinced the book was being artificially overordered because the numbers were so fucking good every issue. They were convinced when they were getting piles of hate mail for Spider-Man having a new costume, well before it was even published, when it leaked to the press somehow, they were convinced that these issues had to be being artificially overordered because the numbers were so good. I can see that making sense. Regina, when you take a look at a story like Marvel Secret Wars, and we contextualize it with where Rogue is in her personal development. You know, she's a character that I know you really connect with the way I'm, you know, so about Jean. Jean's not in this. It's bizarre, but Jean is missing from this major event. And in so many ways, Rogue represents an early replacement for Jean as a powerhouse and as like the ex-woman. I feel like Rogue is in this, but she doesn't belong here. Yeah. And, you know, when when I first started reading Rogue, it was kind of in the early 90s. And then I went back to, to read some of the issues from the 80s. And I was like, she is way sassier than I thought she was. <laughs> so she she and Dazzler clashed quite a bit and they were very saucy with each other. So when I was reading this, I was kind of like, OK, so we get to see her. But, yeah, she doesn't really go with what they're doing. (laughs) So I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how well she was served as a character by appearing here. (laughs) So in that way, maybe Daredevil was lucky being left out. Maybe. Kyle, were there any characters where you were just like, no, get out. No, I don't want you. I hate to say it, but, um, because I know how much you love her, um, Wasp. Oh, oh, (laughs) oh, okay. Oh, Oh, I didn't see that coming. I thought, oh, okay. Oh, I, oh. Okay. 
Here's who you could have said, Kyle. <laughs> Molecule Man, The Wrecking Crew, Lizard, like any of those villains. No, you said Janet. Yeah. <laughs> you have- I, like I said, I know how much you love her, but this really didn't work for me at all. I sobbed the first time I saw the Ant-Man and Wasp cutout in a movie theater and took a dozen photos with it. So Kyle is referring to my uncomfortable obsession with Janet Van Dyne. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, I will agree. Wasp and Magneto is a... Creepy. You know, okay. Rogue and Magneto, Wasp and Magneto, Lee Forrester and Magneto. These days, there was a Moira and Magneto moment. I kind of can't stop thinking... Magneto was like the king of sloppy seconds. I was just about to say that. Why does he only go after people that like other notable people have already been with? That's really interesting. I guess he's like some kind of like Super Bowl and he just wants to get in there afterward or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, I was going to say something a lot, like even more detailed and gross, but I was like, no, this is a child friendly podcast. It is not. <laughs> it's rated explicit in every store. In my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is a child-rated podcast. You know, I've said some gross, vulgar things, and I still say it is a child podcast. Maybe I'm just hanging out with the right kids. <laughs> Dylan, this had to have been, like, in so many ways, one of those, okay, bucket list, and now you can check it off. Or if it's this show, a bidet list. Really fast, before you answer, Dylan, notably, you're not in this as well, because you don't live in Chicago, and Chicago was mysteriously teleported to this as well. <laughs> That's why I thought it was Titania Denver. Book- oh, yeah. oh, it's is it Denver? I thought so. I really thought it was, I maybe I just I I read Denver, hoped it was Chicago. You wanted what you wanted. I wanted. Oh my god! Now you think I live in Denver? No, you didn't live in Denver. That's why you weren't there. But I thought it was Chicago, and you don't live there as well. Chicago, Um, yeah, uh. Yeah, this was always on my bucket list, but yeah, like now it's like one of those things. Yay! I'm glad I got that off my bucket list, and I'm also glad that I did not rush to do it. It's it's a slog, honestly. And what's fascinating about the fact that it's a slog is when Jim Shooter was asked at a Comic Con in 2015 as a part of a Secret Wars retrospective panel that reunited nearly the entire creative team, he said that he's not sure where 12 issues came from. He thinks it was him. He thinks he was told, I have the license for this for a year, so I just said, make it 12. (laughs) And I think that's actually the first big problem. This motherfucker is way too long. That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing. It is 12 issues and nothing happens. How is that possible? How do you have 12 issues where there is not a lot of content? I'm going to slap you because one major thing happened. We got Julia Carpenter. So wash your mouth out with soap. But she's not in it until more than halfway after this. It doesn't matter. She's the psychic spider woman. I understand. We don't even get that though from this. And she's a mom, and she's a good mom. Again, none of that is in this. She kind of flirts with Beta Ray Bill later. He, he would have been a great addition to <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say, I, I do like this crew of characters that they did pick this time. The other crossovers, there was just a lot of people that no one's going to care about and is not going to help you get the sales or numbers that you want. So I feel like they picked more popular characters this time i feel like there's more prominent 
women. The women are still outnumbered. I'm still, I'm really confused why Sue is not in this. I don't know if there was something happening in Fantastic Four books that Sue couldn't be in it, but why is she not? Maybe Franklin. Was it, yeah, wasn't she preg- preg- pregnant with Franklin at this point? Yeah. They, like, just had him? That's dumb. She, she could still well, fight. I, <laughs> I need to interject because you just said that you don't think Shamrock would have sold copies of this and I Shamrock was the original Domino. She was the Irish happy go lucky yeah. out of nowhere mutant that they forced into contest. If at first you don't succeed, <laughs> you try try again. And so Shamrock sucked and they made a better one and called it Domino. I will have you know <laughs> Miss Fitzpatrick is still in comics to this day. I have no idea if she's still popular she's, or if anybody actually uses no. her. She hangs out with Blonde Phantom. Don't you dare sully her name. (laughs) With all of the stuff we're talking about, and kind of all of the nonsense, it is important that we pay attention to a couple of key things about this creative team. Number one, Jim Shooter was at the time also editor-in-chief. Mike Zeck, the penciler, did everything he could to try and bang out 12 issues in a year. But because the license was so specific... They had to be done with the book in a year. There was no room for this book to run long. They wound up bringing in future major X contributor Bob Layton, who would go on to create X Factor shortly leaving thereafter. But this team that kind of bust out this series, it's important to note that none of these people were in charge of these characters. So the X-Men were told Colossus is going to do this. The Spider-Man team was told Spider-Man's changing costumes deal with it. As a matter of fact, the artist on Spider-Man right after that said, are you kidding me? I wait my entire life to draw Spider-Man and I finally get to draw him and he looks wrong. So what do you guys think about a miniseries like this and an editor-in-chief coming down and sending mandates that would affect the title? I just think that is ridiculous. (laughs) There's some things that should be allowed to grow organically or to change organically. And when it's an editorial mandate, it really it really detracts from the overall story that you're trying to tell because of something that somebody else somewhere else did to make a decision for you. And creatively, that is very stunting. Yeah, you can't really tell a story if you're being restricted and especially if you want to try to do something interesting with these characters like why would you even do something interesting if basically you can't or even if you do it it's most likely only going to be a part of this crossover and not any other part of canon for me it feels like it risks um character assassination uh oh yeah i don't think shooter got a single character right that's a great point yeah i mean the whole thing with uh colossus it just was it just was out of the blue and that hold on hold on I believe we covered how many Colossus gets to put his big metal dick in stuff stories there are on this show. So, yes, yeah, I know. Kind of out of nowhere. But there's that one very special Colossus's first threesome issue. <laughs> and so, like, in a lot of ways... Baby's first threesome. Yeah, don't forget. Oh my god. It's ribbed for your pleasure. So, his entire body is ribbed for her pleasure. It really is. And if we're talking about <laughs> Ultimate, it's for his pleasure as well. No, he doesn't fist himself. He's gay. Yeah. Oh. But I meant other men. No, he fists himself. He fists I give up. He fists him. Yeah. Gay Colossus fists himself. 
Nah, this is st it's sterile. <laughs> when he goes to the middle of war, it's sterile. It's fine. I'm right. Continue, Kyle. Um, For the love of God, uh, save us. <laughs> I I don't think there's any way to save at this point. <laughs> So, so, uh, I don't even know where to pick up. <laughs> with your back. Always pick up using your back. No, with no, no, your no, no, legs. No, 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 using your legs is dumb. You're supposed to pull from the lower of your back while rounded. No, you pick up with your shoulders. Oh, no, yeah, you pick up with your shoulders and biceps only. So with my chest? Yes. Okay. Your buttocks. Always lift from your toes. <laughs> A lot of characters did feel, whether they were assassinated here or assassinated when they came back, I think Colossus is probably the biggest um, victim of this. I do think some things that interesting can come out of this, like the Fantastic Four crew being told, hey, you gotta get you get to include She-Hulk now. So that adds a different character that they can include with dynamics and stories and all this different thing. So I don't know if that was a bad character assassination, but like everyone else was oofa. And we all they also introduced characters that I personally did not like. I did not like Titania once. <laughs> That is a waste of that name because she wants to be like a titan. Excuse you, Titania is the fairy queen. Titania is She-Hulk's nemesis. Thank you. And she's abusive. And well, her <laughs> husband is Carl. <laughs> oh, Carl. But he could wreck me if he wanted to. Right? <laughs> Honestly, you're not wrong. There are a couple suggestive poses when Titania's like, "I'm get up, I'm going to fight you." And he's like, "Nah, babe, chill." <laughs> He looked really good. Yeah, he is definitely some, like, Dilf Daddy porn. He is mega hot. <laughs> and he has Rogue's power. I feel like he's a mix of Rogue and um, Husk. Yeah. He's actually... Technically, yeah. Actually, this is this is for younger generation people. He's basically Kevin from Ben 10 Alien Force. Does anybody... Has anybody else watched yes, Ben 10? Yes, yes, I've seen it. I know I, exactly I know what you're know. talking about. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Dylan. And thank you, Regina. Ben 10 was created by X-Men contributors Joe Casey and Joe Kelly. I get that. Oh, forearm, forearms. There's, there's a crossover. Ben 10 and forearms. That's the, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the crossover we've all been clamoring it, for. No, Ben has an alien that's forearms. Would... Oh, I and thought you it... were pushing for a forearms. No, okay. no. When the alien, they, Ben calls the alien forearms. It's not the alien species race. It would be a better crossover than this anyway. Well, yes, I am not surprised that this crossover was in the the whole point of it was for toys because they've in the past have been known to do this cough cough micronauts cough cough, and I guess it, I, the first warning sign should have been that no writer wanted to work on this and that should have been their cue to be to be like hmm let's make this as simple and as short as possible just fulfill your requirements. This went on for way too long, made too many changes to characters that I think outraged people that they had to wait a full year to understand why. And I don't think there was any payoff and nothing really substantial. I think like exciting came out of this for me, except for maybe the introduction of Spider-Woman, who I don't know, but she sounds cool. I like the Black Widow clairvoyant. It, this reminds me of the psychic spider person. Same thing. So it's really funny that we're bringing it back to the toys for a moment because the toys were supposed to be released in two eight-figure waves. The first wave sold so badly, they only released five of the second wave, and the other three were released internationally, you know, in those countries where the book made even less sense. Right? No one knows what to do with that, right? 
<laughs> wow. No. Kyle just I, confirmed for us bidets are French. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Right away, I feel like that first two-page splash is meant to be sensational, but it's kind of like, wow, that's a lot of people crammed into one panel. Iron Man looks like he's sitting on an invisible toilet. I don't, it I don't like it. It is a mess. And Storm looks like a cat leaping across the room. <laughs> Art was so rushed, they had exactly enough time to get it done and still needed fill-ins. So, yeah. And I think we've had this problem with other splashes before. Kyle, I think you were a part of that inaugural Dazzler episode where we talked about some of those weird poses that some of the characters were in when they came out to see Dazzler's performance. Yeah, yeah, those, oh, wow. Um, yeah, th I mean, that's because they were bringing in all of those characters, wasn't it? Yeah, and here we have the same thing. In an attempt to sell merchandise that isn't comic books, we see way too many people appearing in the same panel spread. I think one of the things that made this miniseries or maxi series, as it were, at 12 issues occasionally kind of tough for me is sort of the segmented choreography of how it all works out. That initial setup where everybody's like, oh, we've been beamed away and everybody quick talk about it so we can understand what's happened. Oh, OK, we've done some exposition quickly. Let's move on to some plot. Oh, man, there are some bad guys. Oh, look, there's Galactus and Doctor Doom. How funny is it that Doctor Doom thinks he can hang with Galactus? Gee, I wonder if Doctor Dr. Doom on a power-hungry mad trip is going to somehow affect the outcome of this book. Oh shit, Dr. Doom and Galactus just got swatted like flies, but for some reason, Dr. Doom wakes up before Galactus. Dr. Doom turns on the bad guys, the X-Men turn on the good guys. Dr. Doom rejoins the bad guys when the bad guys attack the good guys, and that is pretty much the 66 pages we read. Now, throughout that, there are some unbelievably other random things, like Magneto, inexplicably with the good guys to begin with, defects and just, he's just really a mutant these days. Like, he's just such a mutant here, just one of the mutie kind. However, you know, there's notable mutants missing. Nary a kitty pride, nor a new mutant. They're off having their own adventure right now. But did anybody else feel like, hey, where's this mutant? I was like, where's Jean? But you know, bum, she's bum, pretty bum. fucking dead. Where is she? <laughs> Out of that lineup of villains, I would have maybe expected Sebastian Shaw to make an appearance, especially because there were some villains that I think were largely, not largely, very much forgettable, and I have no idea who they still are, like the Wrecking Crew. But each one of the Wrecking Crew is hotter than the next, so it's kind of okay. We'll just bring the hottest one, and then the other two can fight over why they weren't allowed to come. I believe we've already determined that the hottest one of all of these villains is Crusher, and I believe we've determined that he is Dylan's. Who else was missing from this X lineup? We've got Jean Grey, because dead. We've got Kitty Pride because Chris is precious. And we've got Sebastian Shaw, because no one knows what to do with him. I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, at this point, the New Mutants have had, like, ten or so issues of their own book. They might as well have thrown in at least one of them. I mean, they have their own book. Everyone else that's in, the, in this lineup has their own book or they're a part of a team, so why not throw in at least one of the New Mutants? Speaking of throwing New Mutants, Karma's not doing a whole lot since she was thrown off of that cliff, so she could have wound up in this story no problem. What about a certain group of uh, defenders? Oh yeah, like Iceman or Be Beast or Angel. No, they suck. 
nobody wants toys of of beast you know that's actually a really good question i do have to wonder we're picking on defenders a little bit but actually all said and done that episode of defenders that featured that new mutants cameo kind of sort of that wasn't really a new mutants cameo that gorgeous sinkevich cover we really enjoyed some of that material for as ridiculous as it was so i have to ask myself was it just nobody was particularly sellable from the new defenders maybe angel's wings made for a difficult sculpt we know Iceman, who is one of the new defenders, did get a toy in the Secret Wars line. And it looks horrible. So we do have at least... Yeah, it's pretty fucking it's scary. ghastly. It's scary. He, I wish he was missing. Regina, did you find yourself scratching your head in search of... I mean, I would wonder where the fuck Mystique is. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people missing. It's just... But this is such a huge lineup already. So, <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, well, I'm going to give him a pass because this is already a lot of people and it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> that is true. That's how I was able to forget that this is also Volcana's first appearance. There's just so many characters, and I'll be honest, some of the characters that get spotlight here, I just do not care about. Molecule Man, no. No, no, no. I don't care about you. You mean you don't like a character talking about his therapist all the time and how his therapist told him he needs to be a good person and to not stand up for himself and not use his powers? If I want a super damaged character like that, give me D-Man, okay? Give me the Pulse Era D-Man with Daredevil talking him off of that ledge and that's where I'm at. But I'm just like, ugh, it's gonna... No. I just found myself kind of scratching my head at some of the heroes as well. There were people that I expected. Thor, great to see you, buddy. I was excited about Cap, but I found myself baffled by the fact that there were so many people whose powers were essentially just punch the fuck out of people. You had Thing, you had Hulk, you have She-Hulk, yet you don't have Invisible Woman. I know we pointed out that it's because she's pregnant, but at the same time, I do find this lineup a little lacking yet overflowing. If they're going to give us Enchantress, I'm actually surprised we didn't get Dazzler, considering Enchantress is just jealous of Dazzler about everything she has. Those beautiful, luscious blonde locks, her better singing voice, how all of Asgard likes Dazzler more than Enchantress. Yeah, and we all... Shooter has a Dazzler boner, so, like, you would think. I was just gonna say, I don't understand why Dazzler's not there either, because, again, someone that has their own title at this point in time, she was showcased on a cover of the Contest of Champions that we did, but she wasn't even in it. Oh, fuck, what if they didn't have the rights to produce the toy? What if it's one of those situations where because Dazzler was owned by that record company in conjunction with Marvel, what if Mattel couldn't produce a Dazzler toy. That very well could have been it. I was also just going to mention that I'm just surprised that Dazzler or any other female characters weren't included because once again, we get five female characters, if I'm counting correctly, compared to the like 13 male characters in this lineup. And even then, Wasp is sort of taken off the board rather quickly in terms of linking her off with Magneto. Regina, I have always respected that you don't really pair Eric and Rogue the way I do. That I get. I understand wanting Magneto with somebody is like a really weird choice, but like I am so repulsed by Janet and Eric that I'm like, no, I get it. I completely get it. Now, I find that so much of the focus of this story is on Doom and Galactus 
rather it does a pretty significant job choreographing a lot of the story for me for my sake I don't really care about Doctor Doom I know I'm a bad Marvelite if I don't care about Doctor Doom like that's one of the premier tenets of being a Marvelite is like you know Doctor Doom he's so good at magic and he's so good at science and he's gonna make your teeth fall out and like I get it okay but I just don't fucking care I love Galactus I don't care about Doom where do you guys fall on the Doom Galactus scale Okay, don't fire me. (laughs) This is the first book I've ever read with Galactus actually in it. I really understand that. He is a threat that looms way more frequently than he appears. So I know how vast your reading experience is, and that still doesn't surprise me. I'm going to join you, Nico, on the not really caring for Doctor Doom that much, because I feel like he's one of those villains that... Every couple of years, they're like, oh, we're going to make him even more powerful in this sort of way. And that just, I don't know how to describe that better, but it's just like, oh, he didn't used to be this powerful before, but now five years later, when we need to make a better story for him, now he's a super strong, powerful sorcerer. But like, I really like Galactus because he just is always amazing. And I just like the fact that he has different heralds. So I like Galactus more than Doom. Same, totally. I'm gonna have to agree with Dylan on pretty much everything there. Um, yeah, Doom, he just seems almost too powerful, and it's a little overwhelming at times, just how powerful he is, so I don't know. It's, it's, I just kind of find him annoying, but I love Galactus. I hear what you're saying, Kyle, about feeling that Dr. Doom's a little more powerful than he should be, but I also want to say everybody seems way more powerful than they should be. The heroes, especially, have this huge powerhouse team you have thor you have storm you have captain marvel monica rambeau you have she hulk you have so many of these really strong like heavy hitters you also have a lot of geniuses between professor xavier uh mr fantastic and tony stark iron man there are so much power going on the other side you also have molecule man who can control the molecules of the universe which he could have easily just killed everyone there i that was way too powerful a character to be included in this unless you're going to make him a sobbing man who only talks about his therapist then falls in love with a woman he met two seconds ago um and i would just like to mention for our latvarian listeners that we do in fact respect some form of mighty emperor doom give me doom 2099 any fucking day of the week doom 2099 is an expert story of course it's warren ellis leave me alone and it's just tremendous so we do stand doom in this house we also love ultimate doom because he's got like goat legs and shit and that's fun. So stan ultimate doom a little bit. Well, okay, that's a lot of information to take in right now. But we're going to unpack that suitcase later. Because truthfully, my opinion is give me one or the other. I don't think both are needed in this book, especially because they tend to seem to be filling the same role of they want to take down the Beyonder for more power. Why do you have two villains trying to do that? Just give the one or the other. You really don't need more competition within this competition. And speaking of competition, there is so much needless sort of back and forth. These first three issues don't offer too much by way of plot. They essentially establish the factions of this battle. We have the heroes versus the villains. And then there's just sort of the mutants off to themselves. I have to wonder if that was like, Chris was like, you will do this. 
you will put the mutants in a little box and you will leave them there. Like, I have to wonder, because we've made jokes about how incredibly protective Chris Claremont becomes of characters that he believes to be explicit to his domain. And there is something about the way the X-Men are pulled off the board in a pretty effective way that sets up a lot of where the story goes from there. Effective? Um, I've kind of found it annoying in a champions kind of way, to be honest. And I think it's that sort of like back and forth page buying that sort of, I don't want to say stresses me out, but it wastes my time. I don't need to keep buying pages. I would have loved this shorter. Dylan, Regina, I pulled you guys into this show promising you a wealth of riches, a treasure trove of tales, and I'm delivering you like the original decompression story. I was gonna... (laughs) It is a bit lackluster and I think that's actually being as nice as I can be about it but whenever there's crossovers in Marvel whether it's back when they first started or even nowadays they don't always hit the spot but sometimes they they are exciting to see but Sometimes that excitement is not always the the best. I don't really know what I'm saying, but it's exciting to read crossovers and have them happen. And if you go in with the knowledge of knowing that sometimes they're probably going to be stupid and they're not going to mean anything for when we go back to the regular canon, that's fine because I think maybe that could help you enjoy it more, especially when it has some pretty not so stellar writing like this one does. So you're just in it for the camaraderie of all of the people being forced to buy the same book. I'm with you. That is the super nice way of putting what I just said. Yes. Well, I like it just as kind of some mindless let's pound on each other and show off all these different characters in a capacity maybe we don't normally see them in. I I guess because I've recently been rereading some AVX, some of the dynamics actually felt familiar with me because we do constantly see the X-Men and the Avengers having different missions. They have different reasons that they exist and they fight off different villains and they have different things that they stand for. And I think when we kind of see here, you know, we're dividing everybody into factions, but we've kind of always seen that, you know, even like in the MCU, the first Avengers movie, we see the good guys pounding on each other. (laughs) So this is still feel it, it still has a familiar feel to me. So, so far, I'm good. And I do love the positivity because there are things to love about this story. There's plenty of things to love. For my sake, the story needs to get rolling a little bit more before it's quite there. One of the things I find so decompressed about these first three issues kind of boils down to the fact that the end of the third issue really could have been the end of the first issue. There was a lot of setup that went into generating this sort of unclear cluster of battle, and I can't imagine that many readers in 1984 found themselves chewing on their nails on the edge of their seat will none of these heroes come back in issue four, when by this point all of their heroes had already returned the same month that issue one came out in the adventures that took place the next month. How do you guys feel knowing that the events of Secret Wars took place between two issues and that the story was filled in over the course of a year? How do you guys feel about these sort of false cliffhanger endings? 
I equate it to like when a piece of media like a book or a movie or a TV show shows you the ending before you get to it at the very beginning and then it fills in the pieces for you. I don't think it really works for almost anything. When you're giving away the endings basically of what's going to happen and then you try to fill in what happens. Well, I'm not going to be on the edge of my seat if you give me any danger, peril, what so have it because I know that they're going to be fine. It takes away all of the suspense you're trying to build because I know the end result is nothing bad is going to happen. So for me, it's kind of like what we've discussed over on HTML with Star Wars and the prequels. Uh, we already know where people end up. So having these cliffhangers, it doesn't really give the same amount of suspense. It's more about, uh, I think what this is more is it's more about the journey, not the destination. You should have a better story. <laughs> Like just reading this, the way that we're reading this is fine because it's so many years later, but I can't imagine being a reader at that time and kind of already knowing what's going to happen. And then you're given kind of these filler type issues. If you're going to do that, you really need to have a great product to make the reader feel like they've spent their money wisely. You know what I mean? Yeah, you need a bomb-ass narrative if you're going to try and string me along for 12 issues on seven issues of story. <laughs> Again, when it j just comes to these crossovers, it, they're a little hokey, and I feel like as many as there has been at this point, people might have already started to realize it back then that... Sometimes these events are just big. I don't, I don't want to compare it to something as cheesy as professional wrestling, but there's just the big main events of the year. But really, everything else that happens throughout the rest of the year is actually what matters. So just buy the giant crossover and don't put too much stock in it. So before we wrap this first part of Secret Wars, we have three distinct factions. We have the heroes, we have the villains, and we have the mutes. At this point in the story, with what we would know, I know some of us have read the story, you know, like way too many times for our own sake, but who would you put your money on at this point? Not to be an ex-fanboy, but I'd put my money on the mutants because they seem really determined to like get the fuck out of the way and let these other two teams take each other out. So I'm going to put my money at this point on the X-Men running and hiding. I mean, it's what they do best. The X-Men run and hide very good or they sacrifice themselves or friends and loved ones. They're good at that too. Ooh, and getting whole schools of children killed. They're excellent at that. Murdered. Murdered. At the mansion. Mm. Um, it depends what the goal is. Are we going for survival? Because then I would agree the X-Men probably have the better powers suited for survival and l a long drawn out battle. Yeah, a long drawn out battle similar to Hunger Games. But if we're going on like this, just like a full on frontal assault kind of thing, probably go with the heroes. They have a little bit more powerhouses on their team. Uh, they kind of just, they just have Thor. And I feel like Thor could just take them all down if he really wanted <laughs> to. And he like, he just thought about it a little bit. And, like he just flexed his muscles at them. All right. So obviously I'm an ex-girl and pardon the pun. They're pretty canny. They're pretty canny ah, characters. Yeah. <laughs> so my money's going on the X-Men. Um, as far as Thor being extremely powerful, all Storm has to do is bat her eyes at him. He's going to melt like a puddle. So I'm going with my Merry Mutants. And she'll grab that hammer. <laughs> she is worthy. Mad worthy. Mm, so 
if if we're going by the Beyonders uh, requirements that they have to kill each other, I don't see anybody other than Logan willing to go that far. Well, I don't know. I think Chuck is. I think Chuck's pretty you fucked think up. So? And I think uh, I think Magneto well, yeah. does like to crush people. Scott seemed pretty okay to. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, Hawkeye. Oh my god, do you remember that time Scott sent that picture to Xavier of himself hanging <laughs> gong? On his honeymoon? <laughs> yeah, with Madeline Pryor. And her tatas were basically out. Honk, honk. And we're just like, why would he send this to his professor? Is, is and Xavier didn't question oh it. Is Xavier also in a relationship with Madeline Pryor we don't know about? And there's just like this secret cuckold. I can't with you two. Also, who took the picture? So going back to what I was saying, I'm going to go with Galactus. Oh, you just took my answer. My answer is the villains, and then after they do that, Galactus eats all of them. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to say the villains, because I think that there's too much infighting between them. It's just Galactus. Here's a question. Can can Absorbing Man absorb the power cosmic? I don't know. I mean, he said that he could absorb anything that's used against him, so... I assume so. So then like, and then like, so I feel like Molecule Man, Galactus, and Absorbing Man would find themselves in like a real dick off. And I feel like Logan would just keep hanging in there, dying over and over again. It'd be terrible. And so I feel like, you know, the one team that I'm not like, oh, they've got this, are the good guys. Outside of Thor, I'll give you Thor. Thor and the Hammer. I'm with you. But I just don't see the good guys doing this. However, we don't know yet, but there is a fourth team involved in this ridiculous nonsense. What? And that team will be brought to us by Deadpool later on in canon. But for now, guys, it's been such a blast starting Secret Wars with you. And I can't wait to come back and take a look at our next batch of books. Next time, we're going to be taking a look at Secret Wars number four, Thor 383, which was actually a Secret War tie-in from back in the day before moving things forward a good 31 years for Spider-Man and the Secret Wars number one. This retelling was under the Marvel Adventures label, which kind of does scale it down a little bit more for kids, but it adds some interesting layers that re-examine the original story and retell it in a way that kind of corrects some of the plot holes and makes a whole lot more. However, all of this will be made perfectly, this will all make perfect sense by the end, right? That, that's what they promise us. By the end of every crossover, you always feel like you got your money and pages worth. And until we return to never feel slighted by a crossover, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate. That is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Lovely, Regina. Where can everyone find you? You can find me on Facebook, helping you host the wonderful House of Goblin Queen. You can also find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G. And on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me refusing to battle Titania in a battle of strengths because I don't want to on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me in all of the feeds on this show, whether it's Thursdays here on 80s Mutant Mania on Thursday Throwbacks or on Mondays over on We Are Krakoa with every one of these amazing people. Don't forget to check out Tuesday's HTML where currently Kevo and I are covering the Star Wars universe, universe deeply steeped in the Clone Wars. You can also check out my Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C. 
C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, until we come back, may your heroes stay super and your wars stay secret.